You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast on a mission to find out what marketing strategies and tactics the top fintech companies use to acquire real customers, build a brand, and grow revenue. I'm Araminta, your host for today, a marketing consultant at Mint Studios and partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Today, I'm talking to Eric Fulweiler, CCO of 11FS and fellow fintech marketing podcaster. Eric has spent over 10 years in the digital advertising world, working with global brands such as PepsiCo and Mastercards as the UK Managing Director of Fainer Media. He now works at 11FS, a consultancy that works with financial services companies to help them deliver the next generation of digital propositions and technology. If you're deep in the fintech space, then you'll have heard of their podcasts, events, and even documentary. 11FS recently won the British Bank Awards for Consultancy of the Year and is one of the leading financial times management consultants in two years running. Eric and I chat about what financial services marketing is, the power of using content to add value, and where to get started with influencer marketing. Let's hear from Eric. Well, so Eric, from FinTech Marketing Podcast host to FinTech Marketing Podcast host, I have a question for you that I can only ask one other person uh, yep. in this world, right? What's something you've learned from interviewing other fintech marketers that you didn't expect to learn? Oh, man, I've learned so much. It's one of those things where, you know, I can't believe it's part of my job to do this. E- even this, like this, you know, this is this is fun and this is interesting. And I'm sure that I'll learn something here. But just to be able to reach out to some of the brightest and smartest and most accomplished marketers in this industry and have a conversation with them for an hour. It's incredible. Um, I actually just wrote up a little bit of a post that I'm going to put out on my LinkedIn next week, picking one thing that I learned from each of the season one guests mm-hmm. to promote season two, which launches next week. I don't know when this will air, but it'll, it'll launch on, uh, I think it's May 25th, May 25th. So it'll already be out there. So yeah, there'll be some stuff out there in terms of what I've learned, but in terms of one thing that I didn't expect, I didn't expect to learn. Um, I think it's been really interesting, you know, as, as 11 FS, we kind of sit in the industry with a foot in both worlds of fintech and traditional financial services. And so on, on the podcast, I get to talk to, you know, the CMO of MasterCard and the CMO of City, but then also, um, you know, the head of marketing for Revolut and Monzo. And so it's been really interesting just to see how there's some similarities in those conversations, but there's a lot of differences too. And I think that that's a really interesting opportunity for any marketer to understand how traditional businesses are marketing and how challengers are marketing and what both sides can learn from each other. Yeah, that's a good answer. And also that's what fintech is at the end of the day, right? It's that interesting combination of incumbents and tech fintech and you probably agree with the fact that there isn't enough financial marketing you know resources out there and i'm still astounded by the fact that there yeah there's not many people going out there saying actually financial marketing financial services is different and this is kind of why why this podcast is here and actually this goes on to my next question which is how do you think that marketing financial services is different than other industries because you've worked in a lot of different not just in financial services right so from your own yeah. perspective, how is it different? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, I've been in in the fintech financial services world on the brand side, on the startup side for the last two years with Eleven FS. But my background, you know, ten years before that, I was in the ad agency world, and so did financial services, but also 
FMCG and retail and entertainment and energy and, and everything. Uh, to be honest, uh, well, I think it's different, but it's also not different, right? Because I think that fundamentally, a lot of good modern marketing principles apply to any industry. And I think that is a lot of what a lot of the opportunity for people out there is not the tactical execution of things that is different industry by industry, but it's the sound fundamentals of good marketing that are determined by human psychology and sociology. Like those are not going to change. But then I think at the tactical execution level and layer, things are different. You know, regulation is a big part of it for sure. Um, the competitive set, you know, just the products that financial service organizations offer, they hold a different place in the lives and do a different job for customers than products and services in other industries. So I'd say there are some things that are different and there's a lot of things that aren't different. And I think that if you practice good marketing fundamentals, I think that will lead you in the right direction. The other thing I would say, because I was talking to somebody yesterday who was at, I know this isn't exactly your question, but somebody was asking, you know, what should I listen to? What should I read that's out there? And, you know, I have stuff that I read, podcasts and books and, you know, resources online, of course. But the thing that I said to him was, I think the best thing that you can research if you're a marketer is your community and your customers. And I think that's something that a lot of people maybe miss as they're looking for more podcasts and more things of people telling them what to do. But if you go, you know, the role of marketing is to make an organization more customer centric if you're doing it well. And so I think there's a ton of missed opportunity to tap into for people to just go study and listen to their customers and the community that's out there around their brand. Yeah, I like what you're saying. And I like, and I say that to kind of marketing is, is like 80% research at the end of the day, because if you understand your customer really well, then it kind of comes naturally in a weird way. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think good business is 80% research, yeah, you know, true. you just think of lean startup and how, how modern day companies build product, forget marketing for a second is it's a constant learning process. Even when you're building it, you're researching and you're learning and you're iterating and you're evolving. Um, but certainly I think the listening and the researching on the marketing side makes total sense because the way that I think about it and kind of the page one of the 11FS marketing playbook is how do we add value to the audience around our brand? And in order to add value, you need two things. You need to really understand what you stand for for us, that's the future of financial services. But then you really need to understand what your audience cares about because good marketing sits at the intersection of those two things. Definitely. And we will talk about that in a little. I like what you're doing at 11FS. In the, like, it's interesting that you are kind of disrupting the disruptors in a weird way because you are a financial services consultancy and consultants are there to you know help incumbents or financial services companies kind of innovate and disrupt themselves weirdly. So as a disruptor of the disruptors, how, how, yeah, how do you market that and how, yeah, what is your approach there? So, I mean, first of all, I can take very little credit for the, uh, you know, I'm biased, but the, the great marketing that uh, 11FS does, we have a fantastic marketing and media team here. Um, so all credit really goes to them, but a lot of it comes from, you know, I think good branding and good marketing comes from companies who really understand who they are. And as you scale, you need to be able to document that and simplify that to something that people can really grab onto and then go execute and get on board with. And so for us, when we talk about our brands, our editorial strategy is to be authoritative, provocative, and human. 
in everything that we do. So we've kind of distilled down who we want to be in the industry, and we make sure as best we can that we are always putting out content, creating experiences, communicating with clients in a way that is authoritative, like we know what we're talking about, provocative, you know, we're not shy, we're opinionated, we'll tell you what we think, but then also human. We have empathy for what it takes to run a big bank or a big insurance company and and how hard change can be. But those three things coming together is hopefully what people get when they interact with the 11FS brand. So it's an exercise in branding, essentially, that's what you're saying. I think so. I mean, branding, but it's also, you know, it's the personality, it's the DNA of the yeah. company. So I think, you know, those, those are kind of the same thing. I think if you're doing it right. And so for us, and that actually happened before I got here, that that APH, as we call it, has been around for a long time um, and it guides everything that we do. I like a quote you've uh, written in an article, I believe, which is, uh, you don't have to know the future to be successful. You just have to be, you just have to react quicker than your competition to things when they do change. In what ways do does 11FS react quicker than its competition? Yeah, I guess I, I wrote it, but I really do believe in that quote. And I think that speed is the most important factor for any organization. You see that playing out when you look at fintechs or any challenger businesses to incumbents and traditional organizations. The biggest advantage they have is that they're able to move faster. And so I think whether, you know, if you're in a small business, continue to move fast. If you're in a big business, regardless of the department, I'd say one of the biggest things you should be thinking about is how can you make your company, your team, your part of the organization actually move faster. So when it comes to marketing in particular, I think that there is so much time and resource and attention lost on people doing marketing for the sake of marketing essentially mm -hmm. overthinking things like I really think that that's you know it's, I guess it's a human trait in general but I think when it comes to marketing I really think that getting something 80% done is better than 100% perfect and I think if I could make that if I could make that one change in a lot of the companies that I've worked with and seen I think it would lead to so much more opportunity because of how much faster you can move now when I say that you know a lot of people are like well doesn't the quality matter of course the quality matters but the difference between 80% and 100% is usually the same amount of work as 0 to 80%. And it's usually a subjective opinion about whether you should do this or whether you should do that. And yours as the marketer is not the subjective opinion that matters. It's your customers. And you won't know whether or not they like something or whether or not it works until you put it out there. And so I think in general, as a, as a general rule, there are some things that need to be 100% perfect for sure. But the vast majority of things should be 80% and done instead of 100% imperfect in order to move much faster. Get comfortable with testing, really. Get comfortable with experimenting and getting it wrong. 100%. I think if you're, if you're a marketer, you should be thinking about how do you create a culture that looks and feels and acts much more like a science lab than an art mm. gallery internally. And I think nice. particularly traditional businesses and ad agencies for that matter, their cultures feel much more like art galleries. How do I paint the perfect picture mm. as opposed to, oh, that's interesting. How do I test this? What if we did that? What did we learn from what we did last week? So I think you should be much more the scientist um, than a lot of people are right now. Mm. I like that metaphor, art gallery. I could definitely, yeah, I can definitely see that in a lot of fintechs and banks. One thing that's unique about 11FS, and this is kind of what you've said before, is that as a disruptor of the disruptors, you're, you're very marketing and brand-led rather than sales-led, which is different to other consultancies. 
And I think you might agree with the fact that this is a trend we're seeing across the board, not just fintech, but in general, marketing and branding is taking a, a much bigger kind of role in today's companies. Do you think more consultancies should should try and be more marketing and brand led? Or is that just what 11FS is as a personality, as a culture? I think you should be more of who you are. And I know okay. that sounds cliche, but I think that organizations have a DNA and natural talents and not talents, weaknesses, just like individuals do. And oftentimes they come from the CEO or the leadership team. Part of why we have the brand that we do and the marketing firepower that we do is because David, our CEO, and the team that founded the company was very marketing and brand oriented. So it's natural. It works well for us. If you try to take our model and force it into a company where the CEO or the leadership team is very sales oriented and, and doesn't value brand as much, it's not going to work. So I think it's more about doubling down on your strengths and who you are. Now, in general, I do think that there's a ton of opportunity for more B2B businesses, particularly consulting firms, to be more brand and marketing led. But it's tough. And I really empathize why more aren't because it takes time and it takes investment, particularly in the early stages, in order to do it right. You have to genuinely create content and experiences without expecting to see an immediate return from them. Because one, it just won't happen. It takes time. And it's a complicated sales funnel. And two, if you create content trying to convert people or generate revenue for yourself, the content's not going to be as good because you're doing it for you as opposed to for them. And the whole thing about content marketing at scale, building a modern media company around what you do, which is how we think about it. We're building a modern day media company around the future of financial services is you're doing it to add value to the audience. So you have to be very comfortable with that. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to do it well. But in general, I think for people who can get on board with that and really do understand it and can get the right people on board to help execute it, I do think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. When you say add value, is that synonymous with creating content, really? I think there's a lot of different ways to add value. But in order to add value to a lot of people at scale, content or events yeah. are big avenues to be able to do that. And different types of content. You know, we do podcasts, we do newsletters, we do reports, we do, we did a movie, a documentary yeah, I saw when it. I first joined a couple of years ago, which was fun. We do a lot of events, big events, small events. Um, so yeah, I mean, adding value is the North Star for us. That's the question that's always in our mind. How do we add value to financial service professionals through what we stand for, the future of financial services? And that can lead you in so many different directions. And it's kind of a fun brief to work off of, but content is the biggest channel for us to be able to do that. Yes. And that's why people are saying every company should be a media company in a way, because that's one of the best ways to add value. I like what you're saying that, you know, it's, it's about the DNA of the company. However, as a consultancy, you know, you're talking with incumbent banks who we could all agree that their marketing is a bit, it doesn't really hit the mark. It's too dry. It doesn't, they don't understand their customers. And you could argue that the CEO or, or the leaders are like that. They're, they're bankers, you know, they, they're not uh, fintechs. So what do you say to them? Do you really say, okay, you're a banker, stick to that kind of DNA, or are you trying to encourage them to disrupt, to change their thinking and be like, okay, well, actually, maybe we want to, in order to survive or in order to increase our, our whatever, your, your, the values that you care about, you're going to have to change. So how do you kind of work with those two different mentalities, I would say? 
I, I think it really depends on, on the individual, you know, and this is my opinion. There's a lot of people that have different opinions. There's a lot of brilliant marketers that work at big banks and incumbent financial service institutions who, you know, may is working fine for them. I mean, you can't, you can't actually know what's working or not working as an outsider in marketing. I can say mm-hmm. what I think about things, but what really matters is what's the results that it's driving on the back end. Like I could say that ad is great or that ad is terrible, but it doesn't matter if it's moving the needle or it's not moving the needle. So it's not really on me to tell people that they should change. Now, in general, I do think that there's a lot of opportunity for traditional organizations in general, but certainly financial service organizations to take more of a challenger approach in their marketing. And that really means, and it's much like how we think about the propositions that we build for our clients, marketing that is agile, marketing that is intelligent, marketing that's contextual to the world that we live in now. So I think if you can focus on those things, how do you get faster? How do you get more flexible? How do you make sure you really understand the channels where people are spending their time and attention and produce content that's contextual to those channels? And how do you make sure that what you're doing is informed by data and insight, not just creative subjectivity? I think for most organizations, they're big organizations, there is opportunity if they can do more of those things. This episode is sponsored by VC Innovations. VC Innovations is a full-stack marketing services agency dedicated to innovation industries with a special focus on fintech. They work with businesses across three key areas of marketing, demand generation campaigns, and event properties, including the must-attend fintech talent festival. Check out vcinnovations.co.uk to find out more. So if I were to ask you, and I know you just said you don't like telling people what to do in terms of marketing, if I asked you, you know, what, what do you wish incumbent banks did more of, or maybe not just banks, but incumbent financial organization, yeah, would, would it be something along those lines, take a more challenger marketing approach? I think that's the biggest thing. I really think the, the agile mm-hmm. piece, if I had to pick one thing that I think could move the needle much quicker for them, it's agility. It's moving faster. It's 80% and done instead of 100% and perfect. It's the science lab instead of the art gallery. I think that's where the biggest low-hanging fruit is for incumbent marketing teams. And how do you, because from what I understand, that is it's, it's easy in theory, but in practice, you know, you've got culture, you've got hierarchy. Yeah. Where do you even start with that? Because they're used to so many different uh, ways of working. Yeah. And I, I do empathize, you know, I've worked with a lot of big financial service organizations. I know that, and I think that's one of the things that's different is when you're at scale, it's a different game. You know, you've got, there's more regulation you need to worry about. There's more pressure, there's more risk. So a lot of those processes are there for a reason. That said, I think that in general, what gets prioritized gets done. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of CMOs don't prioritize how do you make your marketing team and organization more agile? I think if they did, they would they would figure it out, right? You look at the talent that you have, you look at the culture that they play in, you look at the process that you built around them, you look at the tools that they have. All of those things could probably be tweaked, even if you can't or shouldn't completely get rid of process or completely get rid of the culture that you have. They could probably all be tweaked to be a little bit more speed-oriented, agile in the way that they work. So I think it's just I think it's just that to start with is is that something you actually want to do? And if so, commit to it. And then you'll find ways to make it happen, to move the needle. It might not, you know, there's no switch. It's more of a dial of change. 
But if you can start to push 1% improvements over time, you know, you'll get there eventually. I like how you're using the word tweaking. I think that's really appropriate, especially for for incumbents or or larger organizations that are struggling to to be agile, as you say, one bit at a time. And I think that's a good it's a good approach. Yeah. Um, and it's also sorry, just one more thing. You yeah. know, I I don't think that RBS should market like Monzo. Every mm. organization is different, every brand is different, and they have strengths in who they are that Monzo doesn't have, just using those two as random examples. So Again, I think it is more understanding who you are, doubling down on your strengths, and leveraging the scale, because that's a big advantage that traditional organizations have over the fintechs out there. Yeah, uh, I'd like to I'd like to um, now pick on one specific uh, channel that uh, I think you're a fan of, and I think uh, and I am too, which is influencer marketing. Could you kind of briefly define what influencer marketing is in financial services? So the way that I think about it, I think when people hear influencer, they think of the celebrity or mm. the YouTube, you know, million follower person or, you know, the beauty person on on Instagram. But I actually think if you break it down and just think of where is your audience's attention, where are there pools of your audience's attention that already exist that you can tap into? That's what influencer marketing does. It's earned media at scale, really. And so if you think of it more like that, where is your audience spending your spending time back to the learning and the researching that we talked about earlier? You know, almost everybody is spending time on Instagram, on YouTube, on social and digital media. They're paying attention to other people. Those are people who potentially could help promote your brand or your product. So um, influencer marketing doesn't have to be about the big name, 100,000 follower type of people. And actually, I think there's even more opportunity to get into more of the micro influencer range, the 10,000 to 100,000 followers, because the attention is going to be cheaper there than it is when you market, when you, you use big celebrities. So, you know, a big thing that I think about, you need to create good content, but then you need to distribute it as efficiently as possible. And I think that there's distribution channels that are overpriced and distribution channels that are underpriced. And I think right now, influencer marketing, particularly the long tail of micro influencers is very underpriced because a lot of people, particularly in the world of financial services, are still debating if it's something that they want to do. And if they do go do it, they do the kind of quick and easy version of let's go get a big celebrity on board, as opposed to let's build a network of 100 micro influencers who will all promote our brand. So I think there's a ton of opportunity if you do it right, and particularly, this is one of the differences for financial services. If this was a, you know, an FMCG podcast, you know, there wouldn't be as much to talk about. But I think for financial services, it's still a little bit behind the curve on influencer. But if we're sitting here two years from now, I think it'll be in everybody's playbook. So if I ask, you know, why, why do you think fintech companies and banks should do more influencer marketing? A good answer is because it's underutilized, basically. Yes, the attention is underpriced. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's why I'm a big fan of it too. What, where do you think, I mean, there have been financial companies that have done influencer marketing already. And where, where do you think they get it wrong if they're not doing it well? I think there's a lot of them that aren't doing it. Mm. And then, you know, again, wrong depends on whether or not it's driving the business results for you. Sure. But in general and in theory, I think the most opportunity is pushing for that long tail of micro-influencers. Because I think most most banks or most financial service organizations, if they are doing it, they are focused more on those macro celebrities. You know, they get three to six mm. 
big influencers on board as opposed to 300 to 600 micro influencers where the attention's underpriced. But also the other thing with influencers is that, you know, it's like that saying, uh, people don't like ads, they like good content. And oftentimes it's harder for a marketing team, a brand to produce good content because, you know, it's not as natural. Like people will engage more with influencer content than they will branded content in general. Obviously there's exceptions, but that's the other opportunity with influencers is that typically the content's more engaging. Yes. And also kind of the work has already been done, right? The influencer already has that trust and you're just having to channel yeah. that. Yeah, really. exactly. And the other thing, I know I'm getting pretty tactical on this right now, but I think that's the first step that people need to get on board with is influencers as underpriced distribution and more effective engagement. The next thing that I think is a huge area of opportunity is actually influencers as content producers for the brand. Mm -hmm. If you have three to 600 micro influencers that are in your network distributing, you know, messaging about your product, that's three to 600 pieces of content that you can then feed into your content factory that you don't have to pay in-house or agency resources to produce and is probably going to be more effective because influencers are naturally going to be better at Instagram content or YouTube content, whatever their channel is, than your teams will be. So I think it's influencers as distribution, but also influencers as production. That's good. And I think both B2C and B2B fintech companies can do influencer marketing. It's not just a consumer thing, right? Yeah, because again, if you replace the word influencer with where's my audience's attention, people are spending time on social and digital media channels and they're listening to other people and other organizations out there. How can you tap into those pools of attention? That's what you should be thinking about. So if someone's listening, a uh, founder or marketing, uh, working for a fintech company, and they want to get started with influencer marketing, where, where would you suggest they get started? Um, I guess my kind of snarky answer is to, you know, just start doing some research on it. I'm trying to think of a more helpful answer than that. I think, you know, to what you said about my quote of you don't need to predict the future, you just need to get there faster when it happens. I would just get started getting started, you know, depending on the organization. Mm -hmm. If you're in a fintech, it might be easier to get approval to go do it. If you're in a big organization, it might be tougher, but just start, you know, science lab, not art gallery, get one influencer up, see how it works, build it into your next campaign. Just get started getting started. Try to move fast to the agile piece of what I was talking about. I would start there. I mean, you can certainly look at what other, you know, mm -hmm. what your competitors are doing. I'd also, I, I would look at FMCG and retail and some of these industries that, where influencer is more accepted and really done by everybody to see what best practice looks like. But I think it's that. I think it's a default to action. Just get out there and try it. I like that what you're saying. Look at what competitors are doing. So what in 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 your opinion, what is a good example of a fintech company doing influencer marketing? And it doesn't have to be B2C. And it doesn't have to be someone like I'm just thinking Mr. Beast, for example. It doesn't have to be someone huge like that. I actually don't know. I really? don't know. I I um <laughs> There was an article in Tearsheet that I commented on. Revolut was doing something with Anthony Joshua, which is influencer. But again, that's the macro influencer, not the micro influencer. I personally have not come across a fintech really? that, at least for me, that I've seen as like a consumer. I'm sure they're out there. If anybody's listening and doing it, I would, I would love to hear and see what you're doing. Eric at 11fs.com. But I personally haven't seen it, which is part of why I think there's a lot of opportunity because I'm, I'm the target market for a lot of these companies and they're not mm. reaching me with any influencer marketing right now. Well, I can talk about one. And this is the one that I always use as an example because I only found out because of uh, like previously what I was doing. So it's not that obvious. Pension B. 
you know, pension mm. bees, right? Yeah. Um, they, they've partnered with personal finance bloggers. And these are, are bloggers that like not everyone knows. You're, you're, they're influencers. It's people that, uh, this very niche, it's a very niche area. You know, you're basically writing articles every week about how to manage your money. And this personal finance blogger called Lynn Beatty. And I know her because I used to be part of this community, basically. And I noticed one day I was walking through the streets and I noticed her on an outdoor campaign of Pension Bee. And I was like, what? I know this. I know her. What is she doing on, on an outdoor campaign? And then I did a bit of research and turns out she's kind of partnered with Pension Bee and she's written a lot of articles for Pension B and Pension B have promoted her also a lot, obviously, on those outdoor campaigns. And she's a big fan of them. And she talks about them regularly. She's, she even has a podcast. She's also done a customer video testimonial. She was one of them. And I love that. And I think that's a great example of influencer marketing. She's not well known in the world, but she's well known in the personal finance community. She's very, very... Uh, kind of relevant to pension B because managing money, all that. And she talks a lot about pensions um, and they're kind of partners and she's only partnered with one other organization. So it's like the only brand she's partnered with. So it's not like everyone's doing it or all personal finance bloggers are partnering with someone. So that's just my, my kind of example that I use. Do you think that's influencer marketing? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's again, if the principle is where is your audience's attention already and how can you tap into it? That's definitely doing that. It That seems to me like more of the macro influencer, let's do a partnership with mm. three or four people and really make a big thing as opposed to the longer tail. How do we get three to 400 oh, you know, okay. personal finance bloggers on board, which I think is where there's a huge opportunity. But yeah, that would check the box for me. I mean, they've probably partnered with other yeah. Personal finance bloggers, to be fair. But this is one I saw and I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. Yep. So my last question for you, Eric, is you've mentioned before on interviews and, and on in your articles that you're fascinated by what makes people tick and how to change their behavior. So and you probably think about this a lot. So I'm actually and it's also something that I'm interested in. So what is, you know, recently, what is a realization you've had about what makes people tick? Oh, that is a good question realization about what makes people tick. I think that, you know, naturally, so yes, I'm very interested in what makes people tick, right? My dad was a psychiatrist, you know, growing up in that environment. And also I'm just very interested in psychology and sociology. I'm interested in the human nature behind marketing. And that's why I'm very interested in and like what I do, because it's about how do you change perception and how do you change behavior, which I think is fascinating. Everybody sees the world through the perspective of who they are. I am much more of like a rational, you know, IQ, X plus Y equals Z type person. And I think over the years, particularly working in a consulting firm the last last two years, I think it's been amazing to see some of the people operate here with how they build relationships with people. And that naturally translates into, into branding and marketing as well, right? We talk a lot about in the fintech world, how do you build a community around your brand? relationships, that's shared experience. Um, and so I think that's been interesting to me. And thank you for asking me this question because it's made me think about this. I think that's I think that's really interesting is, you know, as someone who maybe didn't naturally was much more about the rational rather than the emotional and the um kind of like uh I don't know, the logic as opposed to the the human human touch to everything. I think it's been really interesting to learn and just see how valuable relationships are in the perceptions that people have and the behavior that they take. Um, 
So that's, that's where I go with that answer. That, that's a really interesting realization because I actually came to that realization recently too. And I tweeted something along the lines of, I've realized that everything is politics in a weird way. It's all about the connections you have. Although politics is cutthroat and it's not, I don't want everything to be politics, right? That would be a nightmare. But it's kind of that, it's connections. It's yeah. all about relationships. So yeah. it's kind of... And and it's also, you know, politics, I'm sure, I actually don't know the official definition of politics, and I'm sure you could take it in, in different ways. But to me, it's like politics, particularly when you think of organizations, and in a negative connotation, it's about perception versus reality, right? It's how people think the relationships they have, as opposed to what's actually being done or what's actually happening. But perception is reality for humans, you know, mm-hmm. we're not computers. And so I think that, yeah, similar type of thing, the perception, the relationship, we're human beings at the end of the day. And that really matters to us and who we are. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's a perfect place to end. Thank you so cool. much, Eric, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com. If you'd like to come on the podcast or just share some feedback, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast. That's all for today. See you next time.